Well, thank you for joining us, everybody, from literally around the world. I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Marian Fathers here at the National Shrine of Divine Mercy. We are live here coming to you on August 28th. We're celebrating a special day today. It's St. Augustine, and yesterday was his mom, St. Monica, so they're back-to-back, -back, and today we're going to talk about them. And before we do the prayer... I'm going to give you, and this is so beautiful, as you always hear me say, bringing you back to seminary with me uh, for no cost in a lot less time. And I'm giving you all the highlights of everything I learned in seminary. And so the series that you've been joining us with is a way to do that. So today I'm taking you back in a good seminary, if it's a good one, trains its priests in the history, meaning what happened, in the teaching means what does the church say? And then in practical application, how we use it and what we can do. So today, stay with, stay with us because we are going to teach you the history of St. Augustine and St. Monica, tell you a little bit about their lives. Then we're going to give you the teaching, a little bit summary of the teaching of St. Augustine, why he's so important. And then we're going to finish with the third big part, what to do to bring our loved ones back to the faith, because that's what St. Monica and St. Augustine are all about. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us, all those beautiful souls that have given of their time to come and learn about you and our faith. For all those watching that have sacrificed this afternoon to give back to you, Lord, reward them abundantly. And through the intercession of Monica, St. Monica and St. Augustine, please bring back and have mercy on their fallen away loved ones. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm doing Mass later today, because Father Kaz does it on Saturday. And I want all of you right now to take a second, because I'm offering the Mass for your lost loved ones, maybe even yourself. So I want you to take a second right now and just place into God's hands who that is. Because when I do the Mass later today, I'm going to place those from your heart onto the altar. And that's going to be what the Mass is said for today. Now, you might meet me 10 years later and say, well, gee, Father, your prayer wasn't too good. My, my, son, my son and daughter never came back to the faith. Trust me, as Jesus says to St. Faustina, my favorite passage of the diary, 1698, don't despair. Because when it looks like all hope is lost at the end of their life, that's when most conversions happen. And we're not even talking on the deathbed. We don't know in the Catholic faith when the soul leaves the body. It could be in five minutes after death. It could be an hour after death. The church is always taught we don't know when the soul leaves the body. And if you listen to Jesus' words to St. Faustina, I believe that there's a certain amount of time that during that moment from death when the soul leaves the body, Jesus comes. That's what he tells St. Faustina. In 1486 of the diary, he says, I come to the soul three times and give it three chances to say yes to me. Then he says in 1698 of the diary of St. Faustina, 
that when I come to the soul, that is when most conversions happen, when it looks like there's no hope, they're despondent, they're not reacting to any external things, yet here I come, and I come to the soul, and that is when your prayers kick in for your loved ones. And that is when the mass that we are gonna say, to, I'm gonna say today is offered for every one of you and your loved ones. If it's you, it's yourself, if it's your loved one, your children, your siblings, Put them in God's hands right now because I'm, we are going to do that mass for them tonight. That's the grace God's going to reward you with forgiving of him the time you just are right now. God will never be outdone in generosity. And you're giving him the time he's going to give those rewards back. That's the beauty of our faith to help our loved ones. It's like the four men. My, you all know me. If you've heard my talks, my, one of my favorite biblical passages is the four men and the paralytic. Because Jesus didn't say to the man, it's your faith that healed you. Get up and walk. He looked at the four men on the roof and it says, it's their faith that helped this man. So parents, don't despair. Don't lose heart. Keep trusting, keep persevering, even if it never looks like they come back. I told you a story before my cousin and um, my father said, gee, there's 20 years of prayer wasted. No, because we don't know when and how God works in that soul. This today is a great example, St. Monica. She's why we're here. And then Augustine is the example of that fruit. All right, let's talk about this. Let's do a little history, a little teaching, and then some practical pointers and advice to what you can do. St. Monica, born in 331, so we're talking 16, 1700 years ago, exactly actually 1700 years ago, almost. She was born into a Catholic family. Let's take a look at the slide here. There's a picture of St. Monica. Um, her feast day was yesterday. And she was born in North Africa, now what's Algeria, all right? And she was raised by a maidservant, not even by her own parents. So remember, who you have your children associate is very important. You know, back in the days when schools used to really teach and worry about your well-being, I remember I was hanging around with a couple of the wrong kids. I was all of in third grade, and I was hanging around with the wrong kids, and the teacher pulled my mom aside and gave my mom some suggestions of who I should hang out with. So my mom pulled me aside, and God bless you for all your prayers for my mom. Um, wow, it's amazing. My dad, um, she wouldn't do an MRI, and, and they told my dad he couldn't be up in the room with her because he has heart stents, and he couldn't, we couldn't get her to take the MRI. And then out of the clear blue, my dad's cardiologist called him. My dad wasn't gonna call the cardiologist, never imagining that there would be any reason he would need to ask him about the stents because at the hospital they told him he couldn't go up with her. And, the, and it, when the cardiologist called out of the clear blue, the, he said to my dad, no, 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 you have the new stents. You can go up there with her. And my dad rushed back to the hospital. They went up to the MRI room. He sat with her, held her hand, and she did the MRI. Praise be to God. That's how it works. Well, anyway, um, so the people you hang around with, my mom told me, as a third grader, I'd rather see you hang around with these three boys rather than these three. And I listened, and it made a big difference. Those are the primary times when you're formed as a child, right? And so it's not just you as parents, but who they associate with. So anyway, she married a man named Patricius. He was a civil Roman civil servant with a bad temper, hated religion. And he would mock her. And in fact, Monica was really patient because she was distressed. 
his behavior. Um, he was in, he had infidelity. He was cheating on her. Um, he wasn't faithful in the marriage. Um, she even had greater grief when he wouldn't allow their children to be baptized. And so there were three of them. Gustin had two siblings and he wouldn't allow them to be baptized. So basically her hands were full here. She had a very temperamental husband, a disagreeable mother-in-law. None of you have ever had that, right? She had a very disagreeable mother-in-law, but she prayed, prayed. Here's what most people don't know. You know, she actually prayed more years for the conversion of her husband and mother-in-law than she did for Augustine. She prayed more years for, for her husband and mother-in-law than she did Augustine. Now it worked for all three because all three of them converted. Now, like many of us, Augustine was brought up as Christian, but fell away. He fell into a life of sin and drifted away. He had concubines. He had a child out of wedlock, 17 years old. He had a child out of wedlock and he said, Lord, please make me chaste and sexually pure. Just not yet. <laughs> So that was what he's known for, right? So anyway, uh, Monica wept every night for Augustine, and it even led her to drink. So she had a lot of stress on her. So just know, turn to Monica when you're stressing out. Um, she prayed very diligently. But, you know, Augustine, like most of your children and most of mine, they're not bad people. They're good people. They're great people. And they really don't think that they're leaving Christ. They're not rejecting outright necessarily. I hate the church, but they just think they know better. They just think that they know more their own way. They think they know best. And this is what Augustine did. So one year later, he got into Manichaeism, which was a heresy. And why? Why did he go to Manichaeism? Because it promised, listen to this, does this sound like today? This crazy new age religion of the time promised scientific answers, kind of like Scientology, right? Uh, the mystery of nature. We're going to explain to you what life means. We can disprove the scriptures. They contradict. And we can explain the problem of evil. And so he fell for this. And when he came home as a Manichaean, <laughs> Monica, now this goes against most motherly instincts. Because most motherly instincts are, yeah. Um, <laughs> most of us want to bring them back in and, and embrace them. And in a way we need to, okay, like the prodigal son. This is true. But notice what the prodigal son did before he came back. He repented. So Augustine didn't repent. He just came back looking for a room and a free meal. And what did Monica do? She threw him out. It's called tough love. She tough loved him. And so anyway, Augustine then went on and followed this heresy of Manichaeism for nine years. But Monica was praying and then her prayers kicked in. He ended up going to Rome and then Milan in 386, where he met St. Ambrose. All right, I was baptized at St. Ambrose. He's a good, good bishop. And he's a doctor of the church, too. Now, here's what's important. His sermons inspired Augustine, looking for the truth. So just remember, when it looks like your child is out backpacking in Europe and Away from the faith, God's eyes are never off them. 
And so he wanted, or uh, Monica wanted to reconcile. God softened her heart, right? And she followed him to Rome, then learned he went to Milan, and she followed him. So let's take a look at our next slide. Here's a picture of St. Ambrose. This is him, and he consoled her with the now famous expression or famous words that the child of this many tears will never perish. That's a great inspiration for all of us, right? A child of this many tears will never perish. So years of struggle, Augustine succumbed finally to God's grace. He was baptized in 387, returned back to Africa, Northern Africa, where they were from, and cast himself and the cares of the world at the feet of God. So he finally cast off himself and the cares of the world and lived for God. So now, after this, Monica died in peace. You know, it's, 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 it's a lot of parents' wishes that if I could see the conversion of my child, I can die in peace. Don't worry, God's got this, right? And so she died with the knowledge that what she had hoped for in this world had now been fulfilled. It was from her prayers. Now, she saw Augusta convert after 17 years. 17 years it took. So she died, she was young, 387 at the age of 56. So in modern times, she's become an inspiration for all of you. Maybe you want to join the St. Monica Sodality. This is, encourages prayer and penance among Catholics for wayward children. So you could do that. So anyway, um, she's famous. I mean, look at in California. I had somebody just write me on the online when we did the homily last week. I said, Father, I live in Santa Monica. And we did a little video on Thursday and it talked about her and and the question was one they had too. And so anyway, it's named after Monica and the legend is in the 18th century, Father Juan Crespi named a local spring that would drip, this dripping spring. Let's take a look at it on your thing, called the Ceres Springs, or actually the Las Aligramas de Santa Monica, which means St. Monica's Tears. And today it's known as Ceres Springs. And that's a picture of just part of it, I think. I don't think that's the whole thing. But anyway, um, this was reminiscent of the tears of St. Monica. And so she shed year after year over Augustine. So now Monica is a great example. Her patient prayer changed everything. With faith, we can move mountains. So she's the patron saint of wives, um, mothers of wayward kids, even abuse victims. All right, now. Let's go to St. Augustine. Let's take a look at our next slide. This is St. Augustine, whose feast day we celebrate today. So he's now waiting for you to ask a favor of him. Say, Augustine, you were wayward. My son is wayward. My husband is wayward. Please pray for them. So you can see St. Augustine here. Now, let's take a little break and watch a video. This is from the St. Paul Center, a good friend of mine who I've done some work with, Matthew Leonard. And notice the very first quote of this video. It's only two and a half minutes. So we'll take a quick break. They're like, whoa, Father, you've never gone this short a time before taking a break. Um, that first quote on this video says, we first need knowledge. And what you guys are doing coming here today is getting the knowledge so that we then can live it. First, y'all, you got to know God, then you can love him. And so let's watch this video about the life of St. Gustin. It's only two and a half minutes. What is set before us is as far as humanly possible, 
to be made like God. Without knowledge, though, we cannot be made like Him, and knowledge cannot be achieved without lessons. Perhaps no one illustrates this truth better than St. Augustine, the great mystagogue and bishop of Hippo. Born in North Africa in the middle of the 4th century, he is without a doubt the single most influential figure in Western Christianity. Now, that's a pretty sweeping statement, but it's hard to say enough about St. Augustine. He's cited more than any other person in the Church's dogmatic pronouncements. Even our modern Catechism of the Catholic Church references his name more than anyone else aside from the biblical authors. A prolific writer and profound thinker, Augustine left behind an immense treasury of writings that goes well beyond his famous Confessions and City of God. Simply stated, he is the peak of patristic achievement. Now that said, if you were to hang out with him in his younger years late in the 4th century, you weren't thinking future saint. It wasn't even close to apparent that this paragon of the Christian faith would ever serve as a guide into the mysteries of Christ. In fact, the reason he published a book titled Confessions in the first place was because he needed to make one. For many years, he lived a life that would cause even many of us to blush. Many people don't know that Augustine was a teenage dad. He fathered an illegitimate son when he was only 17 and he continued to live with the child's mother for the next 17 years. In fact, one of his more famous lines when he was still resisting the pull of God was, grant me chastity and continence, but not yet. Now you can imagine the tears that were shed by his mother, St. Monica, as she prayed for her son's conversion. Propelled by her constant intercession and the influence of the great St. Ambrose of Milan, Augustine eventually found his way into the Catholic faith. Today, he's one of our greatest saints and champions. If you remember, in our previous discussion about typology, we quoted a line from Augustine. The New Testament is concealed in the Old, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New. But he went further. Augustine also clearly understood there is a unity not just between the two testaments, but also between the Bible and the sacraments. And this relationship wasn't something incidental but central to Christianity. Okay, so thank you to Matt Leonard and uh, that good little clip there showing us about Augustine and Monica. You know, St. Augustine was born on November 13th, 13, or I'm sorry, 354. Why doesn't his feast day on that day? Most of the feast days of saints are the days they died. Augustine had died on August 28th. That's why his feast day is today, because the church teaches we usually honor saints' deaths as their real birth, their birth into a new life. Not the birth in this world, but the birth into heaven. So anyway, he lived in North Africa, uh, was a Roman citizen though, and his writings helped develop Western Christianity and Western philosophy very much. He is a patristic father, meaning a father of the church and a doctor. What does that mean? Okay, a doctor of the church means the church is analyzed and really in-depth looked at all their writings and they are completely worthy of being followed in everything they write. Now, it doesn't mean you can't follow other saints, but saints make mistakes. I mean, even Augustine and Thomas Aquinas made some mistakes. Aquinas didn't necessarily believe in the Immaculate Conception the way we do, but that's okay. It was because of what they knew in science back then. And Augustine, you know, he felt that uh, Adam and Eve 
was all Eve's fault. He says it was because the woman got in the way. But he wasn't chauvinistic. He went on to talk about Mother Church and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, explaining all the roles of women. So anyway, Doctor of the Church means you can especially read their writings, that they're handpicked by God to be teachers. So anyway, he's become one of the most influential thinkers in the history of the Catholic Church. All right, let's take a look at our next slide. All right. And this is here, is the story of his life and his conversion. It's a book called The Confessions. You've probably heard of it. This was required reading in seminary. All of us seminarians had to read this book. And I, I remember reading it thinking, whoa, this is awesome. Even I'm not that bad. <laughs> and so don't let spiritual pride get to us though, because man, the Lord will nail us in other ways. So anyway, um, the Confessions. Now, perhaps the most intimate and well-known glimpse of any soul ever in church history is this book, St. Augustine. And so anyway, what did he say now? Okay, I can't give you all the teaching now, but I'm going to just highlight a little bit of the big things that he talked about. One of the big ones is original sin. Now, his first insight was into the nature of sin. And what happened? He stole some pears, the fruit. All right. And he did not want to steal them. This is in the book, The Confessions. He didn't steal the fruit because he was hungry. He stole the fruit because it was not permitted. It was one of those things about his very nature. Our nature is broken. And he said it was very foul, but I loved it. Sounds like sin, right? And so from this incident, he concluded that the human person is inclined to sin. It's called concupiscence. And it helped to develop, or he did, the doctrine of original sin. God works this way. Where's that in the Bible? The Bible develops over time. God has to develop us as we are ready and able to learn more at certain times. This is what happened. Original sin then is what he wrote about. And he said, that's why we need the grace of God. So his conversion was prompted when he heard a voice. Some of us have heard voices and it was a child's voice. Take up and read, take up and read. So he took that to mean a command from God to open the Bible and read the first passage he saw. You know, it's funny. I didn't know this story before I went to seminary, before I became a Marian. And I was down in North Carolina. And I had a Bible on the table. I was just coming back to my faith and I accidentally knocked the Bible off the table and it fell, it flipped over and fell flat down. And it was half open on one side, half open, somewhere in the middle it opened. And I remember looking at the Bible, first of all saying, I didn't mean to do that, Lord. But then I remember, is there, it just popped in my head, is there a message that our Lord is telling us? And I opened up to the passage in Matthew because I was discerning the priest of the Lord. Should I become a priest, not become a priest? And it says, those <laughs> who choose to become eunuchs for the kingdom of God should. Now, that doesn't mean we're castrated. What it means is we give up the gift of sexuality to be able to share with the kingdom of God something greater. And I remember reading that thinking, oh, no, Lord, no, no. But I knew in my heart, 
And this is what Augustine did. He picked up the Bible and he read. What did he read? Let's look on our screen. Romans 13, 13. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Hmm. Doesn't mean sexuality is bad. Within marriage, it's a gift. It's a beautiful gift, the renewal of the covenant but misused. So Augustine ended his relationship with his lover. He became a monk for a period of time. And he was finally then, his life was converted. He became a priest in 391. And then in 395, only four years later, he became a bishop of Hippo. This is in Africa. Served for 35 years. But we need bishops like this today. And he learned not only <coughs> that, excuse me, he learned that we're not going to learn everything in this world. We're going to learn it through Jesus. Wisdom, humility, and love. And you know what's interesting is that's what we've been trying to teach you in this series. Wisdom, we're teaching you the facts, the knowledge, the, what the church teaching is. Humility, surrender to God, trust in Jesus, and love. Love. That's why we have Father Cass. And so we keep always pointing to these three. Now, he saw and learned from philosophers. Now, what's philosophy? You know what's interesting? Of all the preacher men around the world, there are Baptist preachers, Methodist preachers, non-denominational preachers, televangelist preachers. Not any of them, but the Catholic priest takes philosophy. We are actually required in seminary to take philosophy before we study theology. What is philosophy? The study of man. Then we study theology, the study of God. You got to understand man first or you're never going to reach him. Philosophy is the study of man, the study of reason, the study of logic, the study of epistemology, knowledge, wisdom. How does man think? So in today's course in seminary, I'm taking you to epistemology, at epistemology, the study of wisdom, of the man's kind's knowledge, actually. The study of logic, how the human brain thinks. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Only the Catholic priest is taught philosophy. No other place. No other preacher. And so this is important. So he went and learned philosophy. And he says, that's where we can learn wisdom and then take it a step farther. Then we learn the wisdom of God. But he said the best wisdom, or excuse me, Pope Benedict said the best wisdom Augustine ever gave us, one sentence. Pope Benedict loved St. Augustine. And he said one sentence made him all his wisdom. Love the sinner, hate the sin. You know, actually, Gandhi quoted that in his 1929 biography, autobiography. Gandhi quoted that in his autobiography. And so anyway, over many years, he penned tons of sermons, letters, uh, documents in which he explained Catholic, Catholic doctrine and defended them against heresy. He also had to contend with barbarian invasions. Sounds like us today, doesn't it? We may not have clubs and pitchforks. Well, I think that might be coming soon when they're going to force me to take the vaccine. But this is, this is really happening in a way. 
This is really happening. And so let's take a look at what we see on our next slide in 410. I laugh. My mom used to always tease my dad that we're related to Alaric the Hun. My last name is our last name, A-L-A-R, and Alaric the Hun is A-L-A-R-I-C, which means the son of Alar. And we traced our family roots back to the western banks of the Danube. And that's where Alaric the Hun comes from, the western banks of the Danube. And I always laugh. That's where my brothers probably say, well, now that explains Father Chris. So anyway, he sacked Rome. Most people think Rome fell in 476. Actually, the first fall of Rome was in 410 at the hands of Alaric. He was of the Goths. I say Alaric the Hun, but he was a Goth. And anyway, it was in this midst of this horrible situation, just like we're facing now. Barbarians at the gates, right? There's a book. Barbarians at the gates. This is what's going on right now. We have the New World Order, and we have the anti-Christian movement, and we have secularism and cultural relativism. These are the barbarians at our gates today, and we have to fight that. And so anyway, Augustine did, and he finished writing, according to this situation, his most famous book, let's put it up on there, the screen, The City of God. You can see it on your screen. This is his most famous book. It tried to show that although human history is full of war and strife, still, by the mercy of God, the city of God, which is what? The heavenly kingdom will endure. Hmm. Good stuff. So he built up, he talked about it, that the city of God is built up through the means of grace that God gives us. How? How? Through the church. Here's a man Let's see, 315, 1,200 years before the Reformation. 1,200 years before any Protestant walked this earth explaining that God works through his church. And what church was there then? Only the Catholic church. There was no other. And so he gives us this grace through the church. And this is whose duty and whose duty is to now convert those barbarian invaders to the Christian faith. So that's why we have to keep praying. All right, live your faith. He said, we are all called to evangelize, but it starts with our own family. Hmm. Talk about that more in a minute. So with threats, Augustine said, man, this is not good because we send all the priests in there. All the priests are going to get killed and we're not going to have any priests. And we won't have any Eucharists, any Eucharist. So he said, some priests should go, some should stay. Some should go minister, take on the barbarians, others should stay. So what happened? He said, the clergy should cast lots. <laughs> so they literally cast lots. And he himself stayed in Hippo when the Vandals took siege and he died right before they took and sacked Rome uh, the second time. So anyway, he died on August 28th, 430, before the barbarians broke through for their next biggest conquest. So anyway, he condemned a lot of things. Like, he, he's a good guy for teaching today. Do you know he condemned abortion? He was really outspoken against induced abortion. He said it is a crime at any stage of pregnancy. Any stage. And so he worked tirelessly to convert people to Catholicism. Now that's a dirty word. 
Oh, you're proselytizing. You're proselytizing. He's like, no, it's called conversion. And I'm going to have to go before God someday and say, did I bring souls to you? That doesn't mean you have to stand on a soapbox and preach scripture, but what it means is we always be Christ-like, draw people to Jesus. So he's the patron of theologians, printers, that's for us at the center, Marion Helper Center, and brewers. So for those priests who have a beer once in a while, think of St. Augustine. Now, a lot of other works uh, that have become very critical in defining our faith. I'll just touch on some of these. Um, in fact, Pope Benedict, I mentioned, says he's one of the a big, big, in fact, the greatest father of the Latin church. He's um, one of the first four doctors of the church. So he's one of the originals. Now, it's funny because even the Protestants revere him. You can't deny this guy. Most modern day Protestants deny him. That's where they've lost their way. But earlier Protestants didn't. Listen to this. R.C. Sproul said, quote, if there is any giant that stands out in the history of the church as the man upon whose shoulders the whole history of theology stands, it is a man by the name of Aurelius Augustine, St. Augustine. This was a Protestant in the 19th century. So the 1800s, this is before some others to modern day now, almost no Protestants see the value of church fathers. It's a shame. Because how do you think the church, how do you think the word of God was spread the first thousand years when there was no Protestant religions? It was spread by guys like Augustine and Aquinas, church fathers. Now, in the 19th century, Anglican historian Philip Schaeff called him, quote, a philosophical and theological genius of the first order towering like a pyramid over above his age and looking down commandingly upon exceeding centuries. Good stuff. All right, so why then do Protestants ignore him today? And most of all, almost all the church fathers. They shouldn't. You can't just throw away the way that God used to spread his word through the centuries. Uh, some Protestants claim, though, that no, actually, he is pretty good. And they try to twist his teaching, saying, for instance, faith alone, like Luther and Calvin. Now, here's the thing. No, he said. He said no to faith alone. So when you're, when you're challenged by your neighbors, why are you Catholic? You are saved by faith alone. Ah, the church fathers don't agree with that. And I think they know better than we do. 2,000 years of church history. He said, no, God created us without us but he will not save us without us. We gotta cooperate with his grace. When the Catholics talk about works, please don't be challenged when somebody says, you think you Catholics teach about works, that we mean works of the law. What we mean by works is works of love. In Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats and many other passages, James 2.24, you are not saved by faith alone, but by works of love. This is what Augustine taught. So we are saved by God's grace, but we must cooperate. Now, how do you do that? It starts with human reason. Remember, I just mentioned a minute ago, philosophy. You want to know what a Catholic priest learns in school? The first two years, we don't touch a theology book. The first two years, we learn philosophy. How mankind thinks so that we can understand man and how he receives God. Now, philosophy, I shouldn't say we don't touch a theology book because, of course, we're reading the Bible, we're reading all that, that that goes with it and the teachings of Augustine that refer to theology. 
But the key is faith and reason, not faith alone. We need faith and the human reason. For instance, this is a key issue in Augustine's Confessions. All right, Augustine testifies how reason puts man on the road to God. Reason first gets you to look to God. There's got to be something else in this world than, than, than what we see. There's got to be something greater, human reason. You know, Thomas Aquinas has the five proofs for the existence of God. You want to blow away your atheistic friends? Google Thomas Aquinas, five proofs for the existence of God. Not one has anything to do with faith. It's all based on human reason. Now, I don't have time to explain it, but you know what my favorite one is? My favorite reason that Thomas Aquinas gives for the existence of God is called, basically, it's the first um, cause. What does that mean? Okay, I'm here before you today. What caused me to exist? My parents. Well, what caused them to exist? Their parents. Well, what caused them to exist? Their parents. You can't keep going backwards ad infinitum. You can't keep going backwards forever. Somewhere it had to have a starting point. That starting point is God. The first uh, creator or the first uh, mover, the first, um, you know, um, uh, in terms of uh, cause, the first cause. Anyway, he said the key here is Augustine said that it is reason that lets us look to God, but then faith gets us through the door. He says that it felt faith elevates reason, taking it beyond. This is the problem with Islam and Protestant fundamentalism. Okay, Islam and, and Protestant fundamentalism are blind faith. Not all Protestants, please don't send me the letters, but the fundamentalists. So, so same with Islam, they look at it as a blind faith. Islam says, well, just strap a bomb to my, my body because that's the will of God. That's blind faith. That's not using human reason that God gave us. And so this is important stuff. So skeptics will basically say, well, you know what? I'm not into this faith thing. Um, all we need is something objective, scientific, and verifiable. So I will you rely only on human reason. No, I'm not saying only human reason. I'm not saying only faith. I'm saying reason with faith. That's not me saying it. That's the Catholic teaching since way back in the beginning of the church, even Augustine, 1700 years ago. So let's look at this. Uh, basically, they'll say faith is subjective, personal, irrational, even bordering on madness. No, I remember getting letters like, you know, a lot of people that, that want to engage in dialogue is beautiful, but prove to me. Well, first I always go to the Eucharistic miracles. That is proof to me. But faith is not about proof. Human reason leads you there logically to the faith door and then faith walks you through the door. All right, so for many people today, it's only about our own intellectual power. It's only about being, oh, the enlightenment. I said the other day, the world calls the dark ages dark and the enlightenment of the, revo um, uh, the mankind's uh, human or the French Revolution as enlightenment, it's actually reversed. The dark age is a time of Aquinas, Bonaventure, um, these great teachers, they call the dark ages. Scholasticism was the beautiful gift of the church. 
And then came human, uh, the French Revolution in enlightenment where we don't need God. And they call that the enlightenment. The world's got it backwards. And so anyway, this is why people rely too much on ourselves. So we have to look out and say, reason leads us to faith. Now, let's finish up here before we go on to scripture. But they can't conflict. There can't be a conflict between faith and reason. We can't do it. They both flow from God. We can't contradict each other. Reason should and must play a central role. However, faith gets us through the door, as I said. All right, now I'm going to skip ahead here because faith is a gift from God. What are the three gifts from God? <clears throat> you all know about virtue. Through good hard work, you can grow in virtue. What are the cardinal virtues? Prudence, think before you speak. Justice, give somebody their due, like religion, go to church, give God his due worship. Temperance, don't like try to overindulge in any one thing. Um, these are called the cardinal virtues, meaning we can do them with our own work. But there's three that we can't. They're purely a gift at your baptism. And whether or not you foster them is up to you, your parents, your lifestyle, and that's faith, hope, and love. And so this is what we have to realize. Augustine said, can God be understood by reason alone? No, we need faith. Not faith alone, not reason alone, both. And so he said, this is, this is really important. All right, so Pope Benedict said he was one of the greatest Christian scholars. God can be approached by humans through truth of science and faith. Whereas opposed to in the other times, for instance, superstition. Up until Christianity, gods of the Nile or gods of Mount Olympus, they were different. They had to have power. They had to crush man. They did not take into account the real truth, but superstition. And so Augustine straightened this out. He said, the God of Abraham uses human reason. He works with mankind. And this is why we have to understand what God was trying to teach us through Augustine. And he said, but be careful. He said, this is important. Reason tells us that God is love. He created us out of love. We can make that human reason. Why else would God make what he did with us if it wasn't love? But he said, be careful. Dissident theology denies God's justice. God has justice too. He said, there are people who say there is no hell, no purgatory. God sometimes chastises us by allowing us to suffer, he said. Scripture, Hebrew 12, 6. He said, it wakes us up. It summons us back to repentance. Because Hebrews 12, 6 says, those whom the Lord loves, he chastises. So basically, this is what Augustine was all about. When he formed, he became this whole idea of teaching. He became a doctor of the church. So now you have an understanding of what God gave Augustine to teach us. But now I want to dive in a little bit to scripture. Because Augustine said, everything is based on the mercy of God. This was way back I get letters, oh, Father Faustina is some new saint that only Poland, John Paul, because he was Polish, made this saint. Mercy is a bunch of hogwash. No. 
Improper mercy or false mercy, meaning there's no justice. Yeah, that's wrong. But Augustine talked about the need for mercy. He said, now check this out. His teachings are basically what we still hold in the Catholic faith today. Augustine did not, Augustine did not teach sola scriptura, Bible alone. He didn't. He said, listen to this. All one of all the topics that besides call no man your father, that's number one. But of all the questions and challenges I get as a priest, probably right behind that is man-made tradition. And Augustine makes a great point. He says, this is not man-made tradition. This is called sacred apostolic tradition from the apostles, which came from Jesus. And listen to what he said. He said, always put sacred tradition above any personal interpretation of scripture. Wow. I think I'm going to put that on my email. You know how they sign at the bottom of the email? Because that is the number one way that we are losing souls. I interpret scripture my way. Augustine's saying, uh-uh, never put it above sacred apostolic tradition. He said, if an interpretation contradicts a tradition of the church, not man-made, apostolic, meaning from the apostles, he said, then that interpretation must be abandoned. Now, this is coming way before there were non-Catholic Christians. A man who only conforms to the literal fundamentalist sense doesn't understand the spiritual sense. That's why the Pharisees, he said, made malicious accusations against Jesus because when he was healed on the Sabbath or when he healed people on the Sabbath, all they did was attack him. That's all they did was attack him. Why? Because they were holding to the letter of the law not to the sense of the spirit. This is important. So Augustine reminds us that, that we have to understand these things. You know, he even talked, well, you know, this is kind of interesting. I was going to skip this, but he gives an example. And I think this is interesting. He uses the example in scripture of the lion. Is the lion good or bad in scripture? What's your interpretation? Is the lion good or bad? Hmm. He said, well, in one place, the lion signifies Christ, the lion of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, Revelation 5.5. 5. But he says in another place, 1 Peter 5.8, it's Satan. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So this is why Augustine said, we need the church. He said, this is why we need the church to interpret for us the meaning of a lion and when it's to be interpreted as God and when it's to be interpreted as, as the devil. This is why when people write to me about Mary calling her the whore of Babylon, this can't be the interpretation of the mother of God. But yet people are putting personal interpretation above sacred tradition. Sacred tradition is found in the church. So Augustine found authority, he said, in three places. Well, wait a minute. Only Jesus is authority. Aha. Yes, this is true. But they're all part of Jesus. Let's listen to this. 
He said there's authority in three places, the person of Jesus, his church, and the church's teaching. They're all Christ. What do you mean, Father? They're all Jesus. When somebody says it's Jesus only, you can say, yeah, it is. He said there is no conflict between Christ, that was the first one, the person, his body, that's the second one, the church, and wisdom, that's the third one, the church teaching. Like, wow, do we not see this? So when somebody says, why do you go to that Catholic church? It's only about Jesus. You could say, yes, it is. Because Jesus had body and he had a wisdom. And so we have Jesus, the person, that's the first thing we follow. But Jesus had a body. His body is the church. And Jesus had wisdom. The wisdom is church teaching. Because he speaks through the word. So, this is funny, because this is, he said, Christ, through his body, the church, demonstrates the truth of wisdom. I would not believe in the gospel, he said, had not the authority of the Catholic church already moved me. So here's Augustine mentioning the word Catholic church 1,200 years before there was any other church. Holy Scripture, the Word of God, put to paper by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said, possesses a certitude of authority coming directly from the divine author and protected by the church. Hmm. This doesn't mean the church can't do stupid things. This doesn't mean the church doesn't make mistakes. What it means is in her teaching, in her ex-cathedra teaching of faith and morals, it will not lead you astray. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, Augustine says, forgiveness of sins is so readily available in the church, how? Confessions, that the only unforgivable sin, sorry, here, we're telling you to turn off your cell phone and I'm the one with my cell phone on. So he said, this is Augustine, that the only unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit, is not to believe that sins are forgiven in the church. Wow. Augustine is saying the only unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit, is to believe that Christ's church, the church he established, the church that he built, doesn't have the authority to forgive sins. Now, again, the authority doesn't come from the church. Christ gave it to the church. And so this is where we have to understand. All right? And so this is really powerful. Now, he would also affirm that God knows from all eternity who would accept his gift of salvation or not. God, you know, one of the famous things I met it was funny because this is a couple years ago. I was flying home from somewhere and one of our employees called and says, hey, somebody landed at the airport and they're coming up here. I forget the reason they were meeting with one of our priests or something. And they said, um, could you give them a lift since you're coming back from the airport? I said, sure. So I gave this person a lift and it was hilarious. We had never, we had never, spoken before and the entire way home all this person drilled me on was how can we have free will if God already knows we're going to end up in heaven or hell 
God has predetermined it. He has ultimate authority, so why bother? Good question. Now, God has foreknowledge. He knows every single one of us watching or in this church our eternal fate. God knows every one of us in this room, this church, this chapel, on the live stream, if you ultimately are going to be a lost soul or a saved soul or by way of purgatory. He already knows the end result. Well, then, Father, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, because foreknowledge, meaning God is omniscient. He has all knowledge. He sees everything at once. If this was the beginning of the world and this was the end of the world, God sees it all instantaneously. God's outside of time. And so people say all the time, well, if he knows, then what do I, he already knows there's nothing I can do. God's foreknowledge, his omniscience doesn't trump your free will. Let's suppose you say tomorrow I want to change. Well, God knew a million years ago that tomorrow you were going to change. You see the point? Predestination from a Protestant John Calvin is something we call double predestination. Meaning that God says, you souls over here are going to heaven. You souls over here are going to hell. And that's it. There's nothing you can do about it. The Catholic Church doesn't teach that. We do teach predestination, not double predestination. Meaning that God has ordained you for a particular mission and to be an elect with him in heaven. We don't teach double predestination that there are some souls damned to hell the day they are born. There's no love in that. And so you don't want to belong to a faith that teaches such a thing. That's why you got to be saved. Don't be one of the, those condemned in predestination because you're a lost soul. If we choose it, we're a lost soul. But right now, you have the free will power to change that. And if you say, well, God already knows, your decision today to change your life would have been seen by God a million years ago. And thus, seeing you in heaven. I think that's fascinating. And that is Catholic Church teaching. All right. You want to summarize all of Gustin's in one paragraph? I think I got enough time to read it. You want to summarize it? This was patristic scholar Richard Price summarized everything of Augustine's teaching in one paragraph. Let's listen to this. Man in his fallen state, meaning after the fall in the garden, is only capable of evil. But God is able to rescue him, not by overriding his free will, but by precisely empowering it giving you the choice if you want to be saved or not, giving you the choice if you want to be with God or not. Evil is not something concrete and positive and created. I teach that all the time. Evil is not a real thing. Evil is a lack of something, a privation, a lack of the good. When you suck the good out of something, you have evil. That's why when we take God, who is goodness itself, out of our families, out of our courts, out of our schools, what's left is evil. And we wonder why there's school shootings left and right. He says, evil is not something concrete and real, but a mere deficiency, an absence of the good. Every created thing in virtue 
of its mere existence is good. God wouldn't have created you if you weren't good. By the fact God created you, you're good. That's why when people say, Father, I am so rotten to the core. You are created ontologically good. Your choices could be bad, but you are created good. In the eyes of God, every living thing, every conscience and rational being has some potential to respond to the grace of God, even in the midst of suffering. In fallen man, this potential, though, is weakened. That's why we need baptism. He said, after the fall, we are weakened. But divine grace is able to bring back this potential to realization, to reawaken and reanimate the natural powers within every soul and every human being to do the good. Powerful stuff. This it does by acting through external stimuli, such as, get a load of this, listening to preaching, <laughs> the sacraments, and the good example of Christ and the saints. Where do you find all of those? The church. And inner assistance within the will itself, meaning you have the ability to choose the good from the bad. You are given free will. As beings endowed with free will, we could choose to resist the healing grace of God or accept it. That's why when people say, Father, why do you keep carrying on about good works? Works are of love means you cooperate with God's grace. You love him and love your neighbor. What did Jesus say the two great commandments are? Love him, love your neighbor. But everybody in non-Catholic field says it's only about grace. Yes, it starts with grace. But what did Jesus say the two great commandments are? Grace? No. He said the two great commandments are love. Love God, love your neighbor. So you got to take that grace, accept it into your heart, cooperate with it, then live it. That's what makes the Catholic faith different from every single 40,000 other Christian denominations. And it makes sense using what? Human reason. Again, the Catholic Church teaching philosophy. I love this. So he says, but God can so work on us that we have the desire to seek him. That is faith. God bless all of you for watching because you have faith. You wouldn't be watching this if you didn't have some sliver of faith. So you have enough to build on. You have enough to be saved just by the fact that you're seeking God here. It's amazing. It is rare, though, that we talk about this anymore in society. When is the last time you turned on the TV and heard about Augustine's De Doctrina Christiana? <laughs> when was the last time? But we turn on the TV and hear garbage, garbage. It's never taught. In fact, it's not even taught in the seminaries. I went to one of the few seminaries that even teach this. Praise be to God. So God, Augustine reminds us of our love for God and love for neighbor. That's how you cooperate with his grace to be saved. So all men are to be loved equally. 
But here's the catch. Can you love all men equally? You can't love them in the same way. There's no way I can love the man in, in, in India the same way that I don't know and I'm 10,000 miles away from in the same way that I love my mom when I'm at her bedside. So here's what Augustine said. I think this is powerful. He said, yes, all men are to be loved equally, but since you can't love everyone equally, those are especially to be cared for are who are most closely bound to you by place, time, opportunity, or relation. So no matter how much you like or don't like it, the people God puts in your path, maybe it's the coworker sitting right next to you at work, God puts that soul in front of you for a purpose. And a lot of saints tell us the people you're going to be most thankful for when you die are the ones who annoyed you the most. Because that is how we grow in patience, virtue, and we carry our cross. Jesus said there's no other way except carrying our cross. So among all men, not all of whom you can care for, you must consider those in your life that God has placed there as almost chosen by lot. Meaning God gave them to you. They were chosen by God. All right. So to finish the last third of this talk, how do we put this into effect? What do we do, Father? All right, you've given me all the, you've given me the history of Monica and Augustine. We did that. You gave me the teaching of Augustine. That paragraph that I just read you, amazing. We gave you the teaching of Augustine. Now let's finish with the biggie. What do you do? Because I always hate it when I used to go to these seminars when I was an engineer and they would tell us all about our problems and you got to have a paradigm shift. You got to look at all the different ways of solving these problems. Okay. All right. Thank you for coming to the seminar. Have a great day. Well, how do you solve them? Give me the tools. That's how we're going to do this rest of this talk right now. What do you do? All right. First power of prayer. First thing you have to do is to acknowledge patient prayer is hard. It's not easy. All right. Prayer. I said this in my Thursday video. Prayer can seem like a holy waste of time. It really can. In the same way that we, I pointed out the example of playing with your little toddler. You won't get anything out of it in terms of a to-do list. You're not going to get anything done in the sense that mowing the lawn or shopping for groceries. Geez, I wasted all that time. The conversation doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be intellectual or a high level. It's going to be goo goo gaga. But, and the chores won't get done. The yard won't be mowed. But you're going to do something. Love. A relationship has now been affirmed. You know, one of the biggest reasons why men end up in prison, lack of affirmation when they were little, lack of a father, lack of having somebody there for them, teaching them the faith. So it is with prayer. You can spend time with them. You can grow with them. Same with God. You can spend time with him in prayer and you can grow with him. Not just God, but also the communion of saints like we are today, Augustine and Monica. All right. You enrich and restore your relationship with God through prayer. All right. Yeah, you don't get the bed made or the dishes washed. All the work can be prayer. You know, uh, we work all day. 
but offered up his prayer, the Benedictines, ora at labora, work and prayer. And yet, yeah, I get nothing done, Father, yet you get everything done. I accomplished nothing, Father, yet you accomplished everything. Why? Because prayer is powerful. Not in the same way that a computer or something that you can point and click and get some instant result is powerful. No, but prayer in a broken family, for instance, is powerful. Just as speaking the truth in the midst of a bunch of lies. Right now, this world is full of a bunch of lies. Telling you marriage is not between a man and a woman. Telling you there is millions of different religions and all of them are the same. Telling you that we don't need to have our freedoms. I'm watching this video the other day and a Hollywood actor, you all know, actually gets on there. They're talking about the vaccine. They're talking about religious exemptions. And they said, what about our freedom? And he said, F your freedom. It's the last time ever watching a movie of that actor. Because this is in the midst of lies. It's as powerful as speaking the truth. That's what prayer in a world of secularism is like. It's like speaking the truth in the midst of a bunch of lies, a midst of a secular world with atheistic ideology. You're praying, you're doing the same kind of thing. It's like living a virtuous life amidst universal corruption. All the, all the uh, immorality going on in the world right now. Go to any place on a weekend night. Go to Las Vegas on a weekend night. See all the immorality going on. You living a moral life in the midst of that is the same thing as prayer screaming out in a world of atheism. Prayer is powerful because it lets God in, allows the saints to help, opens the door to the angels, to heaven. Unleashing heaven on the world through prayer is powerful. It's amazing that God influences and guides the course of human history, but yet respects our free will. This is incredible. He responds to our free will. He did with Augustine, but yet he pursued Augustine. He respected his free will, but he kept after him, after him, after him. My free will for years, decades, said I'm not going to be a priest. For decades, for years, I said I'm not going to be a priest. But God kept pursuing me. Did he trump my free will? No, I could have made the decision not to become a priest. But God is a love story. The Bible is a love story. The, the groom pursuing his wayward bride. He doesn't trump the free will. He respected Augustine's free will. So anyway, God, what did he do then? To, to pursue him, he put truth in his path. He put truth. He sent Christians and saints like St. Ambrose in his way. He brought him to church, put converts in front of him, speaking to him. He took up the scripture, heard a voice, take up the Bible and read. Have you taken up the Bible and read lately? Struggling with your faith? Use these tools God's placing before you. And it all came through the prayers of St. Monica. Not even him came through the prayers of St. Monica. You want your loved one to come back? Starts with prayer. She was tempted to give up. Didn't believe her prayers were making a difference. Her tears were having no effect. We may too. 
And the news seems to get worse every day. The world, Afghanistan, what's going on? It's intense. It may not seem like it, but the, great, the greatest thing we could do is patient perseverance of prayer. We must pray for all of our church, our priests and bishops, those who are making stupid comments and stupid decisions. Or even failures. I mean, I, I don't think too much that I've ever said anything against church teaching, but I've done stupid things, dumb things, uncharitable things, selfish things. So we pray. We must continue to pray for our loved ones each day, even if it seems they're slipping farther away. St. Faustina was given special insight into this. Jesus told her that the salvation of thousands of souls depended on her prayer. Are you kidding me? Yeah, he told her that. Even in the face of suffering, we need to persevere. But your own salvation, though, is just the beginning. The salvation of your loved ones depends on your prayers too. Jesus told that to St. Faustina. I can't emphasize enough. You're gonna be like, ah, oh, Father, you're giving me the answer here. What to do? You're telling me to pray. I know, I know. I can't emphasize it enough. Jesus said in Diary 1777, pray as much as you can for the dying. By your entreaties, obtain for them trust in my mercy because they have it, I'm oh, sorry, because they have most need of trust yet have it the least. Be assured that the grace of eternal salvation for certain souls in their final moment depends on your prayer. Hmm. So we need to pray, open the floodgates to heaven, allow the grace of God to pour out on the earth. We need to be steeped in prayer, the word of God, strengthened by the sacraments, actual grace. It's the word and the sacraments. Both, not one, not the other, independently, both, the word and the sacraments. You know, the rosary has certain promises, right? One of the promises, number six, there's those who shall recite my rosary devoutly, meditating on its mysteries, shall not be overwhelmed by misfortune. The sinner shall be converted. Are you praying the rosary? Well, no, Father, but I'm praying the chaplet. Okay. Jesus told St. Faustina at the three o'clock hour to do what? I love saying this. This is from Father Seraphim. Everybody always thinks, pray the chapel. Actually, the first thing to do at the three o'clock hour is pray for the conversion of sinners. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I'm going to finish here with something I talked about a year ago, and I've never mentioned since, but I think it's that powerful. You want to know, Father Chris, what do I do to bring my loved ones back to the truth or to the faith? I'm going to give you something of all the things I've ever read in seminary, online, been taught, been teached. is by a guy named Brandon Voigt called The Seven Steps to Bring Your Loved One Back to the Church or Anyone. And I read these and I'm like, this guy gets it. And I want to share those with you. That's where we're going to finish. So if Brother Mark can put the seven steps on the screen, I think he can make them up in the little corner where they'll just stay up in the corner. Great. So I'm going to have him lead these up in the corner. I'm going to go through these seven steps with you. This is how you bring a loved one back to the church. Now, French author Antoine de Saint-Exupéry said, a goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal without a plan is just a wish. So what's your plan? 
Are you wishing your loved one comes back to the faith or do you got a plan to bring your loved one back to the faith? Well, yeah, I trust everything in Jesus. Yes, you do. But he's saying, okay, it's like a good manager at a Fortune 500 company. What does he do? He tasks his managers to carry out the tasks. God's like the CEO, but the CEO's not out there pounding the pavement. The sales reps are. And so we aren't here to push, pull, or prod anyone back into the church. It'll never work. How do you get them back? You rather you stand beside them. So step number one, pray fast and sacrifice or alms. Nothing else matters without these three. Why? They're in the Bible. Prayer, we've already talked about fasting and sacrifice or almsgiving. None of these, nothing matters without these three. How much do I need to pray, Father? Okay, there's no right or wrong answer to that, but if you're super busy, you're a parent, at least 15 minutes a day. Everybody has 15 minutes a day. I challenge every one of you. Remember Mother Teresa when the guy said, Mother Teresa, I have no time to pray or to do a holy hour. She said, then you need two. I am guilty of it myself. I have no time for this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I challenge every one of you that if we look back and record your day, I could find 15 minutes. I promise you. So at least 15 minutes. Make it quality. The Bible says God loves tireless prayer. Remember the persistent widow? Even if it is the same prayer every day, Sometimes that prayer takes 20 years before the seed you're planting germinate. How much do you desire the conversion of your loved one? Recruit a heavenly ally, patron saint. Is your child a doctor? Then talk to the patron saint Cyril and Methodius, the patron saint of physicians. Is your son a cook or your husband a cook? Talk to St. Lawrence, a patron saint of chefs, when they burn them at the stake. <laughs> so recruit a, a heavenly ally. All right, that's step one. Two, step two, equip yourself. What does that mean? You can't give what you don't have. You first have to become deep in your faith. You have to know your faith. Father, how do I know my faith? You're watching us. You're learning your faith. You're going back to seminary with me. You're here as part of the Explaining the Faith series. This is our part to help you equip yourself. You can't give what you don't have. You can't love what you don't know. So the more you know God in our faith, the more you can love God in your faith. And you're doing it by watching this video. You're equipping yourself. The Bible, the catechism. If you haven't read the catechism, phenomenal. Every single thing in there is like a gem of gold. If you're tired of me shouting, watch Scott Hahn, Stephen Ray, some of these other great people out there. All right? There's a lot of them. All right, number three, plant the seeds. How do you plant a seed, Father? Give seed gifts like DVDs or CDs or books. You know, one of the biggest things that was part of my conversion was the book by Scott Hahn, The Lamb's Supper. That's one of the biggest things for my conversion because it told me what we have in the Eucharist, right? Or perhaps a small pamphlet left on their desk, right? Um, then plant the seeds of faith in their life. 
know, make sure that they know that your love is unconditional. You're worried about their soul, not your self-righteousness. What's your motivation? Why do you want them to convert? So you can be right? No. So they can be saved. You will love them though, no matter what. Even if they don't convert, you still love them. You still love them. Even if they don't come back, do works of mercy for them. Are you all keeping up on your works of mercy? Every day, do a work of mercy, word, deed, or prayer. Say something nice for somebody. Do something nice for somebody. Pray for somebody. Work of mercy. Good stuff. All right. Fourth, open the conversation. I can tell you, if you think by ignoring a problem, it's going to go away, it ain't. At some point, you need to start the dialogue about God and the church. Some point. But don't dwell on it. Don't do it with a club in your hand. Ask if they would be open to discussing rather than just starting it when they resist. Catch them in a good mood. Say you want to listen to them, not lecture them. You know, I want to know what your thoughts are. Listen. First thing you got to do is listen. Your goal is to find out why they don't go to church, why they don't believe in God. Then you end the conversation and you can do your research to find out if they ended their thing, let's say because the scandal of the church. Oh, I left the church. I don't believe in God because it could never happen, a scandal like that. Well, then you could go do some research. Read the Jenkins report out of Penn State or, you know, uh, or the Jenkins study out of Penn State. And, and others, they give you a whole new light. It's not what you hear in the media. All right. Um, or the John Jay report is another one. I'm going to do a talk on that soon. But all right. Number five, move the dialogue forward. Again, you can go back on our video and get these steps later if you can't get them all now. Speaking with joy and positive, positiveness. Is that a word? Positivity? Clear up any misconceptions they might have. No, the Crusades weren't really what you learned. No, the Inquisition wasn't really what you learned. No, Mary Magdalene did not carry the baby of Jesus in her womb. These are the things people misunderstand about our faith. If the person says, I was never spiritually fed as a Catholic. Now I go to this non-denominational church and we sing Kumbaya. Then you educate what the Eucharist means. All right. It's likely that they never fully understood the Eucharist or they were never exposed to it, to great teachings of the church. Give them St. Augustine. Gently propose them, propose to them and encourage them to reconsider and learn what the church really teaches. Remember Fulton Sheen? Millions of people hate what they think is the Catholic Church. Very few, if any, hate what is actually the Catholic Church. All right, two more. Six, invite and connect. Invite them, don't force them. I have two good friends they are always talking about their children. Father, I got to force them to go to church. No, you invite them. They're adult. Now, when they're kids, no, that's part of the family. They're living under your roof. That's part of the rule. Even adult kids, if they're not paying rent and they're living under your roof, you can say you got to follow the rules of this household. Now, if they're adults and they're living on their own, you invite them. All right. Invite them to a parish event. Pull, pull, uh, pull don't push. Maybe a softball game. Find something that matches their interests. Maybe they love sports. Take them to a, a church softball game. Basically, your goal is to usher in this person into the life of the parish. 
to reestablish bonds. And so they can see, hey, these are good people. Don't move too fast, though. Only extend those invitations after the person's expressed a willingness or an openness to returning. Otherwise, you might push them away. All right, seven. Last, close the loop. Help them to reconcile with the church. That's what the priests are for. Most people say they don't come back to church because they don't know what to do. Help them. Get a hold of the parish priest. Many say, as I said, that they, they don't know how to come back. Maybe they just need to be a good confession. Maybe they just need RCIA to learn what our faith teaches. A good priest will assess the situation to determine the next best step, not always us. The key, never give up. Remember the persistent widow, never stop. God loves them even more than you do, and he wants them saved even more than you do. But what you can do is help them see what it's affecting you, how it's positively helped you. Tell your story. People love conversion stories. Don't be afraid of it. All right, now finally, I wanted to show on the last couple slides something I call the big four ways. We always talk about the big four devotions, the sacred heart of Jesus, the immaculate heart of Mary, divine mercy, and the precious blood. The big four devotions. Well, I'm going to tell you right now the big four ways to bring somebody back to church. These you want to write down. So if you watch the video later, pause, replay it. The big four. One, have masses said for them. Even if they don't know it, you can have a mass said and not even tell the office of the parish what your intention is. You can say, for the intentions, my intentions. What is your intentions? To my son comes back to the church. Have masses said for them. The saints tell us one mass done for somebody while they are alive is worth more than a hundred after they're dead. Two, pray the rosary and chaplet daily for them. Why? Because it's like the mass. Father, they're not going to mass. You can take them to mass. What is the Mass? It's divided into two parts. Liturgy of the Word, Liturgy of the Eucharist. You're not getting them to Mass, you bring Mass to them. What are you talking about, Father? All right, it's a start. Yeah, the best would be for them to be here receiving Holy Communion, but yes, start it. Get the grace flowing. This is very important. Come on in, you can. God bless you. And so bring them. How? How do I bring the Mass to somebody, Father? Well, first have a Mass said for them. Secondly, pray the rosary, pray the chaplet. Why? Because what is, what is the first part of Mass? The liturgy of the word. We meditate on scripture. What's the rosary? It's not a bunch of Hail Marys. The rosary is a meditation on scripture. Next, you pray the chaplet. What's the chaplet? Well, what's the second part of the Mass? It's like liturgy of the Eucharist. Pray the chaplet. Why is the chaplet like liturgy of the Eucharist? offer sacrifice. In the liturgy of the Eucharist, the priest offers sacrifice. When you pray the chaplet, guess what? By virtue of your baptism, you're a priest. You share in the common priesthood of Christ, the three offices of Jesus, priest, prophet, and king. When you were baptized, you became a priest, a prophet, and a king. Now when you say the chaplet, you're offering sacrifice. It's like the second part of the mass. So if you pray the rosary and the chaplet daily, you're bringing mass to them. Powerful stuff. Third, let them see your joy. If church does nothing but make you miserable, how in the world are you going to get your loved ones to want to be part of that? See the joy in your faith. And finally, 
Offer all your penances and sufferings. Diary 961, Jesus told St. Faustina, every conversion of a sinful soul demands sacrifice. You want the conversion of a sinful soul that you love? It's going to take some sacrifice. Offer up some penances, offer up some sacrifices. These are the big four. You do these consistently with a big heart, I can promise you, or our faith means nothing, that God is going to bring those souls or at least the opportunity for those souls to come back to him. I guess you could add number five, pray that they don't reject the grace. All right, now let's finish. That's why sacraments, communion, and confession will help you become holy so then that your holiness and sanctity becomes contagious. Offer your communion for them. How many times do you have a lost loved one that you come to Holy Communion and as you're walking up this line, do you say, Lord God Almighty in heaven, I am offering up the incredible grace that you are giving me that I am now receiving in Holy Communion for them. Or do we just come up and eh, stick out our hand? Uh, are we tapping into the most powerful graces ever? Are we offering up our Holy Communion for their conversion? If we aren't, now's the time to start and ask for the intercession of St. Augustine. All right. I know I'm way long, but I can wrap this up in two minutes. Remember, faith is about your relationship with God and the rest of the mystical body of Christ. The saints can help us here. If you don't talk to God, then start with Mary or the angels or the saints. Get you to God. They bring you to God. Do works of mercy. This is what we've been teaching and preaching. Because then you are living the commandments, loving God, loving your neighbor. Do works of mercy for love of Jesus and neighbor, which will help change your relatives when they see you. What did, what changed, you know, we're going through this, what they call a pandemic, but when you look at the history, the plague in the Middle Ages, you know what converted and saved Europe? The plague. What are you talking about, Father? Europe was wayward. They were losing their faith. Then the plague hit. And you know what converted and switched, changed Europe? Because all the people dying in the streets saw the priests and the nuns out there taking care of them and risking their own life. And they said, I want to be like that. Even if I don't become a priest, I want to have that kind of faith. That was the message that the church, now we're closing our doors. So pray for the church. Pray for our priests to get out there to the people. So works of mercy, do this allows us to have grace and, and powerful grace brought back. All right, consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself to Joseph or Mary. These are special acts of devotion, great ways to let go and trust heaven to take on your challenges. That's what Marian consecration is. It means, Mary, I can't do this. I'm giving it to you. You ever had that coworker at work? Uh, you know what, John? <laughs> I can't really do this here. You take it. That's what's going on. You give it to Mary. Consecrate your family, including those that are away. You can consecrate your family as a whole. So if it includes it or your workplace, this is powerful. Make a regular holy hour for them. Are you making a holy hour for them? 
Are you actually going before the Blessed Sacrament and asking God for the grace of conversion for your loved one? Do you really want that grace of conversion and love for your loved one? Then get before that Blessed Sacrament. You shall obtain all you ask for me by recitation of the rosary and the 15 promises of Our Lady. Jesus, Diary 1731, through the chaplet, you will attain everything if what you ask for is compatible with my will. You don't think conversion of your loved one is not compatible with his will? It is. All right, last couple slides, Diary of St. Faustina. Some powerful quotes here. All right, this one here, Diary of St. Faustina. Call upon my mercy on behalf of sinners. I desire their salvation. When you say this prayer, hear that? When you say this prayer with a contrite heart and with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give them the grace of conversion. Two questions. What prayer and when is that grace coming? Okay, we're going to read the prayer in a minute. And secondly, when is that grace going to be given? We don't know. It may not even be to the moment of their death. But what is that prayer? Jesus said, call upon my mercy. I desire their salvation for the behalf of sinners. When you say this prayer with a contrite heart, I will give them the grace of conversion. What is that prayer? Next slide. O oh, blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. Father Seraphim went to his grave reciting that prayer. That was his favorite ultimate prayer. At three o'clock, Jesus said, first pray for the conversion of sinners. So the bottom line, basically what Jesus told St. Faustina, this is hilarious. Stop talking so much to them about it and start talking to me more about it. So stop talking to those of you who you love that are falling away. Jesus said, stop talking so much to them about it. Start talking to me about it. I love that. Light a blessed candle for them. We have them here at the National Shrine. Pray before a holy image of Jesus like the divine mercy. Call upon the saints to be an advocate for them. And last, finally, the green scapular. Let's put that slide up. I talked about this on my other talk. Of all the scapulars, and there are some great ones, the brown scapular, we have the blue scapular, and they have enrollments, and they have prayers. That's great. That's awesome. But this green scapular is special. There's no special enrollment. There's no, nothing that's required. It's specially designed and given by Mary for the conversion of your loved ones. And in fact, they don't even have to say the prayer. You can say the prayer for them with the green scapular. You can go get that green scapular for them. You can pray for them and you can hide it in their room. I know people put it under their mattress. Put it somewhere in the house. That green scapular has traditional stories of great conversions. And so with that, I've given you hopefully <laughs> enough to at least think about. And that is why this is so important. And, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta know our faith. We gotta have what we want. If we want to give something, we gotta have it. So, you know, I'll look at on the screen, Brother, Brother Mark could put up, you know what, if you want more information on this, we have our DVD out there called Explaining the Faith. You can get that at shopmercy.org or call 1-800-4-MARION-462-7426. There's three days left for the offer on my book, which we've been offering all the way through the end of August. So what's today, the 28th, 28th, 29th, 30th. Is there a 31st in August? Yeah, my mind is fried right now. 
four days, you can still get my book for any donation because we still have some supplies left. Once those supplies are gone, it's out. So you want to get that book? Call 800-462-7426 or you can visit online at thedivinemercy.org slash UDM and you can order it. You can call or order. That's the only way that the discount is offered. Um, our gift shop, it's, it's the regular thing, but we can, I'll sign it for you. But, and finally, become a member of our Marian Helper staff. Um, I, I'm sorry, our, um, our, our Association of Marian Helpers. Become a Marian Helper. Visit micprayers.org and you'll start sharing in all these graces, the graces that we need for the conversion of our loved ones. You just officially sat through the longest talk I have ever given on the three of this uh, series. This is the longest one. So if you made it through this one, you can make it through the others. Next week, we're excited because we'll have first Saturdays. We'll talk about marrying apparitions. Please join us. Until then, you know that your loved ones are in my prayers. So I'm going to be offering mass tonight for them. And may Almighty God bless you through the intercession of St. Augustine and St. Faustina and St. Monica and the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen, and God bless you. Thank you, everybody. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.